Better listen very carefully. A good martial artist does not become tense, but ready. Essentially, at this point, the fight is over. So you pretty much flow with the goal. Who is worthy to be trusted with the secret to limitless power? I'm ready. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another Bulletproof for BJJ podcast. I'm JT, I'm here with Joey, and we are blessed and honoured to have our good friend, Sean Fong, here on the show. Welcome, Sean. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate you guys having me on today. Man, yeah. it's a huge, huge honour for us. And Joel had mentioned you to me in messages like, bro, you, you got to talk with Sean. And for those of you out there, if you're not familiar with uh, Sean, he has overcome massive adversity to be an athlete and then also be a jiu-jitsu practitioner. And I know a lot of people out there feel like they've got a lot to overcome to do jiu-jitsu. And then you're going to hear from Sean and you're going to know what it's really about. If it's cool, um, Sean, I'll throw to you and allow you to introduce yourself in terms of how you consider yourself within jiu-jitsu and everything you've done. I was born and raised in Fiji. Yeah, um, I grew up on the western side of the island in that region is famous for producing sugarcane. Right. So just near my primary school, literally just over the hill, there's a train tracks, right? A lot of the boys would play on the train tracks afterwards. You do like the bobsled thing. So you'd jump on the tracks and we'd run and push it down the trains, yeah? One day after school, just me being young and silly and oblivious to the danger, I was playing on the back of a train. When I went to jump off, my clothes got caught on the sugarcane and pulled me underneath the moving train. So the first thing to get caught was my right leg. So it went in about mid-shin, and the train kept moving. Now, as it kept moving, my head was in danger of going underneath the wheels of the train. So I managed to catch the, catch the side of the train and try to pull my right leg out with my left hand. That's when my hand got caught. So I think later they told me the train dragged me something like 50 meters or something like that before the limb severed. Luckily, my younger brother was there. He disappeared into the fields. Some of the farmers came out, wrapped me in blankets, took me to the nearest house, and the ambulance got me to the hospital. So I was conscious throughout the whole thing. Um, I passed out, woke up three days later, missing an arm and a leg. So, Dang. And it was a tough, tough time for me and my family, yeah. You were seven years old. Seven years old. So I was Whoa. in, what's that, year two. My goodness. It's incredible. And the, the fact that you survived as well, like you, so you're in regional Fiji. Mm-hmm. I think that that's a miracle because for most people experiencing such a traumatic event, even here, like in Australia, it, you know, even if you're in the Blue Mountains, sure, you would have to be like heli vacked sure. somewhere. Like, yeah. so the the first major issue was they were worried I was going to die from blood loss, mm. right? And then once they were, I was kind of stable. Then they were worried that I might pass from infection, yeah, mm. gangrene, sepsis, all that kind of stuff. So I think all up, I spent about three months in hospital. And I finally got to go home. But yeah, it's it's it was a tough, tough time. Yeah, for for my mom, for my family, it was man, helped me help make me who I am. Yeah, that was kind of the event that kicked off my determination. Right. So, when, when was that? 1989, when? September 1989. Can you describe what it's like in Fiji, like where you were living and the, your sort of lifestyle? Was there any kind of accommodation for someone who was missing an arm and a leg? No, absolutely not. So. I grew up like farm boy, yeah. My um, my grandparents had a pig farm, so their place, like 
the rivers, the waterfalls. Like my, my childhood, I probably couldn't have asked for a better childhood, yeah? Being in the ocean, playing whatever. If you know anything about Fiji, you know how much we love rugby. Mm. So every afternoon after school, the boys are playing, yeah? So the hardest part for me actually was I went from being a very active kid to now I'm forced to sit on the sidelines. Any sport that I can play, I can't play rugby, I can't play soccer, anything, you know, involving running. Um, Luckily for me, Fiji being Fiji, like there's tons of beautiful beaches and places, so my escape was always the water, yeah? And especially in those first few years, while I was learning to adapt to a body with one arm and one leg, I liked the weightless feeling of just being in the water, yeah? I felt like I have so much more control over my body instead of, you know, when you're an amputee using one leg, you always have to constantly look. Um, there's no little pebbles on the ground or anything or trip hazards or things like that. When you're in the water, you're free. Yeah. Yeah. Now, at that time, I mean, I'd say only recently, like in the last 10 years, everywhere you go, there's a disabled toilet. There's ramps. Like the, I didn't have prosthetic limbs, I think, for the first year and a half. So my first, like, I used to get around on a skateboard. Yeah. Going to school was very difficult. Um, like even asking people that I used to go to school with if you could, they could push me from one room to another. And it's, it's quite funny if you think about it, yeah? But imagine yourself with one arm and one leg trying to push a wheelchair. If you don't do it right, you're just going to go in circles, right? So <laughs> all those bad, little frustrations, you know? <laughs> that's tough. So we can look back on it now and kind of laugh, but at the time, see, I was left dominant too. I was left-handed and that was the hand that I lost. Oh. So all these tiny things like feeding myself, dressing myself, all of that, was a challenge, yeah. Incredibly frustrating when I think back on it. A critical point uh, in this journey, you moved to Australia mm-hmm. and you were 12, is that right? Or I think I think I was 12 going on 13. So I came here and started year eight. Right. Right. Um, my mum had met uh, an Australian expat who was working and living in Fiji. They got married, yeah. Um, I now have two brothers and a sister from that relationship. So we came over here. Australia... I mean, one of the reasons that it was good for me to come here in the first place was just because the, the healthcare and the level of prosthetics is so much better than you get in, in Fiji, yeah? Sure. So that was, that was a big plus. Here's where I first, like, heard of disabled sport, right? But honestly, at the time, and this is, like, mid-'90s, the stuff that they were doing for amputees was, like, ping-pong and volleyball, yeah? And for me, I was like... Like, I'm, I'm Fijian. I like to smash things, yeah? like, you know, right? Like, um, so I needed something with a bit more grunt. Right. Right? So um, me being an 80s baby, like, I always grew up, like, Mike Tyson was the man. Yep. 89, 1990. Like, Iron Mike. I remember 15, 20 guys in the room just like, watch. Watch what's about to happen. He's going to murder this guy, yeah? And pretty much those were, like, my kind of heroes, if you're a kid growing up in Fiji, everyone wants to play rugby, yeah? Mm-hmm. Or everyone knows somebody that's on the national team or anything, yeah? And Fiji produces some, like, phenomenal athletes. Phenomenal. Yeah? Monsters. So that was my thing. I was always into martial arts. Now, my first thing was actually Muay Thai, yeah? Oh. I really, really like Muay Thai, yeah? And I was always nervous, like, I'd walk into a gym like this one and everyone would be like, dude, what are we going to do with you? Like, can you even kick or, or you know, how are you going to play guard or how are you going to do a basic cross choke you haven't got two arms to execute a lot of the moves yeah yeah so got into muay thai did that for a few years yeah and then eventually i fluked my way into swimming so i used to work in north sydney 
and the North Sydney Pool there near Milton's Point, one of mm-hmm. the most beautiful pools in all the Sydney, saltwater, 50-metre pool. Normally when I swim, I take my prosthetic off, I leave it by the side of the pool, jump in and do my laps. One day, there's this old guy just waiting by my leg. Is this your prosthetic? I'm like, yeah. He's like, man, I don't know if you know, but you're very fast, yeah? This is the Australian coach's number. Give him a call. Like, All right, cool. Did that, went for a time trial. I rocked up in a pair of North Queensland cowboy footy shorts. Yeah? So he's like, why are you wearing that shit? <laughs> like, I don't know. He's like, All right, get up on the block, swim. Let's see what you can do. I did that and I'll never forget. He goes, All right, I got two pieces of feedback. That was the shittest thing I've ever seen in my life in terms of technique. I was like, dang. Thanks, thanks for thinking about my feelings. Yeah. Cold. He's like, but the good news is you're very fast. That time probably gets you top 20. I think you should move to the northern beaches, start training with me. Yeah? That was it. Wow. Started making the New South Wales squad, made a few Aussie squads, yeah, going overseas. And then my best result came, I got the world record in the 100 butterfly. Wow. Short course. Whoa. That's amazing, yeah. man. So like for me, this is how I think about it anyway. Yeah. From being a, a super active kid and then like sitting on the sidelines and watching you guys tear it up in sport, I really used to think this and I vividly remember having these like conversations with myself. One day something's going to happen where I get to show people like I'm actually physically capable. And when I do, like that's it. It's going to be my thing. Mm. So that for me was swimming. When, what age were you when you had that sort of – when you thought that? Um, did it take some time? Of after the accident for you to have that moment oh, of like sure. one day I'm going to show people for sure like my my when did that come I don't know the, the my when I was first uh, when I first had the accident like even before I had the accident I've always been a shy kid yeah I'm an introvert I'm not the type to walk into a room and start a conversation if you don't do it I won't do it after the accident I was so much more self conscious right and there's this weird phenomenon like most people with a disability will talk to you uh, about anywhere you go. People want to ask you about the disability. Now, this is how I like to describe it to people, yeah? Everybody has something that they're self-conscious about, yeah? Receding hairline, whatever. But my thing is, it's so physically obvious, I don't want anybody to talk to it, but often strangers will initiate conversations about it. They'll just walk up and be like, what happened to you? (laughs) If I'm having a good day, I might give them 30 seconds. Yeah, I had an accident with the train. But sometimes the feedback isn't great, yeah? Not too long ago, a dude came up and asked me, wouldn't leave me alone. What happened to you? What happened to you? What happened to you? I had an accident with the train. Were you jumping on the train? I said, yeah. He goes, well, that was stupid. So I have to take a deep breath and be like, and what's the point of this conversation, my man? Honestly, yeah? I feel like strangling it, but like, what are you supposed to do, yeah? I always try to leave people with a positive taste in their mouth or like try and give them a bit of empathy. Because I know somewhere out there, there's another seven-year-old kid who's just been through a traumatic event. He doesn't need your opinion. He doesn't need your judgment. You understand? So I don't like going places where I know it's different if I'm coming on a podcast like this. I expect to be asked about it, yeah? And it's my relationship with my disability is a double-edged sword. If I didn't have the disability, I wouldn't be asked to be on podcasts. I'd just be another tough brown belt, right? But you're a tough brown belt with one arm and one leg. And you fight able-bodied dudes and you fought in Abu Dhabi and, yeah. But why wouldn't I? That sense of adventure, like, I love rolling just as much as anybody else. I love, I could be on the gym all day, hanging with the boys. I have a different take on this. I feel like you could be an internet sensation. I'd like to see more street fights with you in them. (laughs) I think that would be, I think that could be amazing. I mean, obviously not the best publicity for your cause, but I mean. Sure, but I I always think of it like this, like... 
the whole when Abu Dhabi came about, that's that's another story. I was wrestling in the gym and I'd just gone into hospital. Um, I went for a takedown. This guy's knee came down on the, the arm where I've lost um, my forearm. And then my elbow blew up. It was throbbing. It was all red. I had to go to hospital. And I was mad because that was the same day that Ronda Rousey fought Holly Holm. Right. So as they're about to take me to the x-ray, like I'm like, guys, can we wait like 10 minutes? <laughs> they're like, your arm's bloody inflamed. What's wrong with you? Yeah, This won't take long. Right, <laughs> yeah. Literally the day after I got out of hospital, I got a call. This guy um, got my number. don't know how. And he's like, listen, um, the Sheik wants to put together this tournament and he wants to get all the best para jiu-jitsu athletes in the world. We'd like you to represent Australia. If we sort out your airfares and stuff, will you come in April? I was like, hell yeah. Yeah. Nice. I get to, a trip around the world and I get to choke people. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. So um, I always think of it like this. Like I like physical stuff like that. If they started a Muay Thai or boxing tournament like for para jiu I'd be in it 100%. But I always think of it too, like it's tough for able-bodied people to, to, you know, roll with me. You don't know what to expect. But also there's a big pity thing. When I first started my jiu-jitsu journey, I would say the first few months I was doing better than I should have because nobody wants to be that guy yeah, to smash the one-arm, one-legged dude. Yeah? But you're not doing me any favors by going easy on me. Yeah, gave me an unrealistic sense of myself. Yeah? I thought I was better than I actually was. Sure. Went into a comp, got caught in a rear naked choke, didn't tap in time and had a little nap. Yeah. Sure. But it's the ultimate ego killer, yeah. So my strategy with jiu-jitsu was always, um, and my coach at the time helped me with this, defense first, defense first. If these two-arm, two-legged guys can't tap you, they're going to get frustrated. And it's awkward rolling with me. Para jiu-jitsu tournaments, you often don't know who you're going to go up against. If my favorite takedown, and sorry if I nerd out a little bit, for all you non-jiu-jitsu people. No, these are all... They don't exist on this podcast. No, no, no. (laughs) Let's go deep. (laughs) If if my favorite, like, setup is, like, to do an arm drag, for example, and I'm going to arm drag your right arm, if I rock up to the comp and you don't have your right arm, I'm not doing that (laughs) takedown anymore. Like, it's it's that silly, yeah? People often go to sweep a leg that's not there, and by the time they realize and adjust, I've already passed. Mm. Right? So it's it's tricky. You really have to think about what you're doing and change your whole jiu-jitsu game. Interesting. Oh yeah, would you say that in a para comp then where you've got athletes with different things going for them, things that they might be missing, mm-hmm. does that kind of give rise then to, I don't know, maybe more dynamic or less predictable matches because you could say like with, you know, able-bodied jiu-jitsu competitors, there's trends, there's certain things that everyone's using and the kind of whole culture's following these trends. Mm-hmm. But I'm guessing maybe it doesn't work in such a way in your divisions. How you bear and bowl with someone that hasn't got legs or whatever it is. Yeah. And often a lot of these guys, they don't have legs or they don't have arms. Yeah. I've met some pretty incredible people, both through like swimming and, and jiu-jitsu. They're super tough, super adaptable. But yeah, a lot of the trends in jiu-jitsu just simply don't happen. So I would say the, the para jiu-jitsu style is very old school. When they talk about old school jiu-jitsu, the philosophy is pretty simple. Yeah. Get them down, pass the legs and go for a finish. Right. Torso control. Torso control, yeah. That's that's pretty much what it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, so my thing, like I always felt like um, having swimming and represented Australia and doing a couple of camps at the AIS, I had access to some of the best coaches, sports scientists, physios, dietitians. you understand? And when I came into jiu-jitsu, no offense to any gym owners or anything like that, like it's, it's pretty amateur. Yeah. Yeah. I think like, it's in a lot of ways... 
the thing that we've talked about a lot mm. um, here with the podcast is that it's still that way for the vast majority. There, there is some, some gyms who are really up on everything they need to do from a sports science perspective. Sure. But that is not that's that, not, that's not the norm. That's no. the exception. Mm-hmm. Um, You're saying amateur in terms of how they operate? No, and no, no. I mean just in terms of how they prepare for competitions. Right, yeah. Right? I still know jiu-jitsu people that I'll wait until like three days before and I'll start to cut. Yeah. Right? yeah. And like – the example I try to give them is like, uh, look at Habib Namogomedov. Yeah, they say he walks around close to ninety kilos and he cuts to seventy six. Yeah, right. Um, I've always been a big admirer of Jordan Burroughs, freestyle Olympic mm. you know, champion. I think their wrestling season starts in March or April, so he starts to cut. He walks around at about eighty five and he cuts. He he fought and won gold in seventy four. They start cutting six months before the event. Yep. So Christmas, Thanksgiving, none of that. Yeah. A little bit of turkey, no nothing. Jiu-Jitsu guys have the worst diets probably ever, yeah? I know guys, you know, wasn't Leandro Lowe famous for having like three bottles of Coke a day and like all the fast food? He is. And, you know, I don't know, was he? All, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was notorious yeah. for it. Yeah, right. Um, so, but that's that's what I meant. Yeah, uh, yeah um, right. I think I was having this conversation with you, JT. Like, um, how many Jiu-Jitsu guys do you actually know who take potassium, sodium, magnesium. They worry about hydration. No. Ba- barely any, yeah. Right. Most of them don't turn up with a water bottle. Sure. <laughs> that's sure. crazy. Yeah. 100%. So crazy, <laughs> And, like, that's, you know, one of the first things when you go to the AIS is they're like, guys, if you if you want us to take you seriously everywhere you go, please have a water bottle. Because they there was this scientific study, like, 1% uh, dehydration leads to, like, 30% lack of performance. Yeah. And we're like, wow, those they, they hit you with that stuff and, like, they kind of tax you a little bit. Like, did you rock up here without a water bottle? You're going to do an extra K today. Like, things like that, yeah, to yeah. keep you in line with, like, what you should be doing. Yeah, I had that from Taekwondo. Like, they mm. were on us really early. I mean, I was never officially part of the Australian team, but I did go to the VIS and uh, N Swiss. Awesome. awesome. And so I had I had people kicking my ass about mm. being really organised. Mm-hmm. The funny thing about it was, like, whatever you think about Taekwondo – when you are part of an Olympic program or you aspire to be an Olympian, mm. they really drill it into you about what it takes to be the best in the world. Sure. Especially coming from Australia, right? right. So having had that in my mind for at least 10 years mm. and, and trying to be the best in a certain way, wh- when I came to Jiu-Jitsu and i just seen dudes just like drinking, like it was kind of like footy in the 80s, mm. like just smashing beers after training and stuff. I'm like what this is kind of crazy right and not not to knock them yeah there's a lot of recreational jiu-jitsu people that are like cool do a few sessions a week and get on the beers yeah but in terms of like being competitive on a global scale some of the stuff you just see it's like no that's not gonna work yeah you might do well at state or nationals or whatever but you you get to the worlds or abu dhabi it's just not gonna happen for you yeah you didn't do what you were supposed to do i want to i want to throw it back a little bit here Mm. um sean just because Whenever we get a, a guest on, I always like to ask how someone found jiu-jitsu. I guess for most people, how they um, come to jiu-jitsu is unique. Some of it's common, some of it's not. But So you've come from competitive swimming and from what I understand, you sustained an injury. And that's – can you talk a little bit about that and then talk about how you just discovered jiu-jitsu and happened to be at um, – be at uh, Gracie Baja in Brookvale. Tell me sure. about that. Um, well, I actually first found out about jiu-jitsu. Some of my friends in high school were mad into like pride was big at the time. Yeah. And I remember sitting in their um, unit in Parramatta watching like Fedor fight and the Gracies fight and just being like, this is insane. Like I love this. 
And um, I think he was a blue belt at the time. And a bunch of us were in his garage and he was showing us arm bars and triangles. And I thought, that's super sick, but I can't do any of that. So I kind of pushed it out of my mind. When I got into swimming, I traveled around the world, did all that stuff, and I was getting ready for the London Olympics. Nine months before, I tore my rotator cuff in my right shoulder. Yeah, That's my good arm and that's my main weapon to propel me through the water. So it wasn't going to happen for me. I knew a lot of the guys that I knew when they stopped competitive swimming, they would blow up. Like, I mean, from 60, 70 kilos to like 130 kilos. So I knew I didn't want to get unfit and fat and just whatever. So I was like, oh, I'll look up local martial arts gyms in the area. I actually tried to look up a Muay Thai gym, but Grace Bar in Sydney was the five minutes from my house. Yeah, I was super nervous, rang up, asked if I could come in and do a trial class. Yeah, they were fantastic. I remember how cool it was when I walked in and put on the gear. Um, the instructor that did the lesson with me uh, will forever be a legend. His name's Fabio. He's now teaching up on the Gold Coast. And he was like, all right, well, this is interesting, but I promise you this. If you give it a chance and, like, work with me, you could be good at this thing. I was like, cool. The first move he showed me was a loop choke because he's like, all right, how are we going to choke? He's like, all right, place, place your fingers on the gear here and, like, look, push them. Right? Get them to bait a reaction. And when they rush you, we're going to fall and then roll for the loop. I swear to God, I was in love. Mad. Amazing. Yeah. Um, then we started experimenting with omoplatas. And he's like, because you haven't got the second leg to lock the omoplata, we'll use it as a sweeping mechanism. Yeah. But your jiu-jitsu is always going to be super, super simple, super basic. Basically, just try to get past his legs, squash him, yeah, and get to his neck. He's like, on. For me, nice. like the grappling element, it's like it's like rugby without the running. Yeah, yeah? I get to do all the the clinch work and all that stuff without all the running. Oh, amazing, awesome. And just totally bit of a random question, but how mm. how was the modification in those early days for the gi? Was it a matter of just not the sleeve, not the leg? Like, what was the? I fold the sleeves up. Um, I probably got dacked, yeah. I probably had my pants pulled down a lot because <laughs> it happened, happened to the best of us. Right, but the the I don't have my right leg, so if I leave that there, people pull on that a lot. Um, I would always get them altered, take them to an alterations place, cut that leg off, and then just stitch it up. Cool. Yeah. Hmm. So mine, mine are fairly easy. I like to fold my sleeve up. When it comes undone, I can use it for chokes and Ezekiel's ah. and things like that. But it's also uh, like if you get a hold of it and then just want to. Not let it go. Not let it go. Like it makes it hard for me. Yeah, I yeah. feel like a puppet on the strings. So sometimes it's good. Sometimes it works against me. So you almost, if the gear comes undone, you almost have like a piece of rope hanging sure. off. Wow. Sure. That's fucking your neck. cool. Yeah. Or use it to like the same way you'd use the little bell or the belt or something like that for like worm guard or lasso guard. Yeah, you can use yep. the sleeve. Talk to me about uh, how that the affected arm works. Can you – you can obviously – you've got articulation there, so you have the elbow joint. That's the elbow joint. Yeah. For those of you just listening, I'm wiggling it around, yeah. Yeah. No, YouTube, YouTube knows oh, what's YouTube up. Knows. You know what's really fascinating too? I've just been watching as you've been talking, you've been gesturing with that arm mm. and you're almost uh, – I'm, I'm sure it's just its, its own – you're just gesturing and however that happens, but mm. it's almost like there's hand gestures and stuff coming from it, but – um, so a lot of amputees will talk about phantom feelings and phantom yeah. sensations. If I close my eyes, it feels like I have two arms and two legs. So if we were just chilling in like your lounge room or something or I'm watching TV, often I do this. Right. Now wow. everyone looks at me like I'm strange because I've just got an elbow in the air. But to me it feels like my fingers are laced behind my head and I'm 
Like yeah, right, chill. Right, yeah. You understand? Yeah. Um, some people get it quite bad, like phantom pains, phantom sensations. But no, I just feel everything. If I shook your hand, it feels like I'm shaking your hand with my left arm. Wow. That's not there. You ever? Do you ever um, wake up and forget that it's not there? Hundred percent, all the time. Wow, mm-hmm. that must be sobering. It's weird. You using a prosthetic can feel like you're um, on stilts. Right. You understand? So that's that's another reason why I love the water or being on the mats. I don't need to think about it. Yeah? Don't need to watch where I place my feet for trip hazards or if I'm going to slip over or anything. I just go. Just do it. Mm-hmm. And so then, so that arm, you use that. You use that as a choking mechanism. Like you've developed techniques. It's it's man dirty. Dude. I mean, if it's for the world title or something, like I'm digging my elbow into your neck. Right. I wouldn't do it I've, in the gym. I've I mean, you would put a fist in there, oh, right? For I, a triangle I do it all the time. Yeah, me See, too. Sure, but like the fist is like not sharp. Like imagine doing it with the elbow. Can you press on for sure? Feel that? that is sharp. Bro, if I had yeah. it, I'd use it. If you yeah. mount somebody off a side control, yeah, get that hand under the head. Oh, and yeah. Bang. Yes. Drop all your weight into it. Open your chest up there. It's painful. Yes, sir. So it's not a clean blood choke. It's just to induce right, pain. You're, yeah. yeah. Wow, you're too nice. Trust me, once you you get that black belt, dude, Uh you're not, oh, that's a bit dirty. You're like, I'm giving you the business, boy. Joel Joel told me, um, Joel's like, bro, you got to roll with him. (laughs) It'll mess you up. One day, one day. Yeah, we'll do it for sure. It'll be be awesome. I I was chatting to Joel because he's been injured. He hurt his shoulder and and just after he, Joe Joe Vogler, shut out, he, um, I think he's got tear to his labrum in his shoulder Ah, just after he got his brown belt. And we're talking about injuries and, and, you know, the difference between – and we say this all the time, you're all good until you're not. Mm-hmm. You're like, man, my jiu-jitsu is working. I'm training hard and then you get an injury. And you're sure. like, shit, I can't, I can't take my shirt off or I can't put my shirt on or these different things that we just take for granted. Sure. At the freedom and ability we have and really we, we really flaunt it in jiu-jitsu because we're just throwing ourselves around with another person on us and all this stuff mm-hmm. – you know, and this is coming from a, a, a point of total ignorance here. So how do you think about injury in jiu-jitsu considering you have already endured and overcome a lot? Do you, is this something you think about when you're rolling? Injury? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Especially in the last few years. Like I've always had back problems just because of the imbalances in my body. Mm. Um, knee injuries, the shoulder um, injury from swimming carried over. Um for me, it's just about like knowing your limits. I know it's not a cool thing to say, but tap and tap early. I think one of the, the mistakes a lot of competitors that I see is everyone complains of burnout, but like if you go 100% all the time, like, that's what's going to happen. You're going to get, right? Mm-hmm. And joints aren't designed to do the stuff that we do to them in jiu-jitsu. Yeah, like tap, tap early. I think too many people peak in the gym, yeah? And instead of tapering off at the right time or whatever it is, unless you're trying to be like, Tap Bushesha or somebody. There's no reason to go crazy. Yep. Yeah, I love when I see people in their 60s, 70s training. Yeah, mm-hmm. and Jiu-Jitsu has so many movements um, that apply outside. So one of the guys who used to, I used to go to him for physical therapy. He ended up getting his blue belt. He was telling me like he, he used to massage a lot of pregnant women, and he was telling them he was teaching them about using hip escapes oh. to get out of bed in the morning. Yeah, because obviously when you're carrying, you're big and and whatever. To wriggle yourself to the edge, do a hip escape, throw your legs over the side of the bed. It's so much more efficient. And this is what I was talking to you about. Like, I like to use my jiu-jitsu to help other people with disabilities because I know the confidence and the empowerment and all that good stuff that it gave me. There's other people in wheelchairs that need that for sure. Yeah, amazing. Right? 
So I'm always conscious that I have no problem tapping anybody. Yeah, mm. I'll only have a problem if you rub it in my face and tell the whole gym, you know, oh, I caught him in this. I was like, yeah, but it's just training. Yeah. You understand? Of course. Like, and my mindset going to the gym every day and just having a good role with you guys as opposed to, all right, now we're prepar preparing for Abu Dhabi. I'm a completely different animal. Right. Right. So just think about that. It's supposed to be fun. Mm. Right. And I'm not a huge fan of having those rivalries in the gym like, oh, did, did Joey catch you? Like, that's it. Oh, it's on today. It's on today. For what? It's only a matter of time. If that's the type it's, of environment, it's, it's, for, only it's for dominance. Do you hear sure. that, That's JT? why. <laughs> sure. Take a note out of Sean's book, uh, let it go. Well, yeah. Whatever. Go. I mean, like, if I, was as a if I was as accepting and enlightened as you, maybe I could take that advice. Yeah. <laughs> but the Unfortunately, thing, I am not. <laughs> but the worst thing is sitting out for three to six months. Of yeah, course. Just because he's too stupid to tap. Or like, oh, no. It's, it, for me, yeah. it's never a question of tapping. I guess it's... You are a competitive guy, right? You broke a world record in swimming. You know, you've, you've won a championship in jiu-jitsu. Clearly, you are a competitive guy. Mm -hmm. Because also, you, are, you know, I talk about this with my friends and clients about seeking adversity. Sure. You're not someone who went, you know what? This is my situation. I'm going to sit it out. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people out there with all their limbs sitting it out. You know what I mean? They didn't go, oh, you know what? I should trudge. Like... <laughs> And, you know, I, I just am amazed because there's so many people who I try and convince to try jiu-jitsu and they're like, oh, my God, why would I want to X, Y, and Z? Mm. And you've gone, you know what, I'm just going to have a crack. That mentality to me is remarkable and the fact that you've taken that to a level of uh, competitive, like sport, is amazing. Thank and, you. And I think that, you know, you need, you need to be acknowledged for that. Thank you, sir. And you don't, you don't get that shot. Like – I'm, I'm glad to hear that you've been getting more attention lately because it's just like the amount of people who talk themselves out of things is ridiculous. Mm -hmm. And there's so much adversity in life and you, you take, you know, serious level like um, – I, I don't even, wouldn't even call it disability but just a serious accident. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that retires people. They're like, oh, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. When you talk to other people about jiu-jitsu, whether they, you know, got all their limbs or they don't, do you, do you sell jiu-jitsu? Like, you're a jiu-jitsu guy. Like, do you, do you, when, are you trying to convert people for jiu-jitsu or how does it work for you? Uh, if it's for them. Yeah, like, um, I've been blessed to have, like, such a rich life and the experiences that I have. Yeah. Um, this memory just popped into my head, yeah. So when I walked in, Joey was like, you know, I haven't been around prosthetics or an amputee before and whatever I, I know what that's like because the first time I like went to the AIS there was this guy sitting there and I was trying not to stare he'd lost both arms at the shoulders uh, I think his parents used to um, have a circus in South Australia and they had a liger well when he was a young kid he put his arms through the cage and the liger took both his arms Whoa. so when I met him in the dining hall he was sitting eating his meal and both his legs were up here he was using his toes to use his knife and fork and cut up his meat and his veggies and feed himself. Can wow. you imagine someone doing that with their legs? So wow. I'm sitting there like trying not to stare and like, keep my jaw off the ground. Like, that's amazing, right? We're capable of incredible things as human beings, yeah? It's just that I had no choice. So straight after the accident, I could sit there and like throw a pity party for myself and all the rest of it, but everyone's out there having fun and having an adventure and, you know, I know I'm smart, I know I'm capable, I have... I have some kind of physical ability. I had to get over that mental hurdle of 
everyone's staring at you. You're different. Yeah, you're you're the double amputee guy, right? And like over the next few years, my attitude kind of morphed to like, well, if all they see for me is like my disability, then I'm not showing the things of my personality and my work ethic that the world deserves to see, right? I, I think of it like this. I don't like the word disabled. I don't think of myself as a disabled person. I think of it like everybody is lacking something, right? Mine just happens to be physical and it's obvious, so everyone comments on it. But I'm not uh, not going to let that stop me from having these amazing experiences and visiting new cultures and training in new gyms and visiting all these people. And if people can get something from my story, then fantastic, right? So sorry, I, I kind of went off on a tangent there. Yes, I do try to convert people to jiu-jitsu. I was with a friend over the weekend. She's a woman. One day, because living in Brookvale in the, the back area, there's an industrial area just like this. She, just random conversation. She said, you will never know what it's like to be a woman and walk down the streets at night and like wish your partner was next to you. 100%. Because I'm a big, tough Pacific Island man. Yeah, I don't have that kind of fear. One day, this person contacted me. Um, they were involved in, a, in an accident and they were paralyzed, I think, from the middle of their back down. They couldn't use their legs. And he told me this story. A few years ago, he was at Town Hall, yeah, just wheeling himself through Town Hall Station. Some crazy person came up. I don't know if he was drunk, he was on drugs, and he just started pushing this guy around in his wheelchair. Oof. Damn. The guy in the wheelchair said there was tens of thousands of people all around. Nobody did anything. And this guy just kept pushing him, pushing him. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? He said he felt so helpless and vulnerable. It shook him up for a few weeks after. He was like, you know how exposed I am? Like if I went to the ATM to get money out, a kid could just walk up, flip my wheelchair, take all my stuff, and there's nothing I can do about it. Because of his, his injuries, he, he used to play footy. Yeah, Big dude, 6'4", if he was able to stand. He said, man, I used to be able to actually hit people hard. Now, because I can't twist from the trunk or anything, I'm trying to hit him and my shots are just doing nothing. Will you help me learn jiu-jitsu? I was like, man, I'll take this on as a personal like, project. Yeah, for sure. Let's do it. Amazing. So those, those are the types of things. Like, I think most people don't even realize how much of a luxury it is to have two arms, two legs, a decent working body. Jiu-jitsu is probably one of the most fun things you could ever do. Yeah, Forget the self-defense. Forget all that. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. And for me, it was always like, no matter what's happening in my life with relationships, whatever stress, paying the bills or whatever, that was my like spot where I could go and roll for an hour, hour and a half. And I don't think of anything else. Yeah. Right. Just for that, I think people would get out of jujitsu. Whether you're a CEO working 70 hour weeks or, or, you know, you're frail and you need to up your physical game or you just got too much going on in your head. You can't sleep at night. You're an insomniac. Go put it all on the mats. Yeah. Come down to Jungle Brothers or whatever gym is in your area. Yeah? But at the same time, I'm not like, you know, you have to do jiu-jitsu. Do Muay Thai. But do something physical yeah, and do something tough. Yeah. I, but I think that that mindset is unique. I, I, I just not, not as in no one else has it, but I guess this is a common thing amongst people who do jiu-jitsu or do martial arts or train in that way. Mm. I think we all feel, and I was saying this to Julian, the world would be a better place if everybody trained. For you sure. know, like it would just – the community would be tighter. Mm. You know when you see – you know another jiu-jitsu person, you're like, or you see the cauliflower ears, you're like, oh, what's up, man? For sure. What you do? Right. Like you, you play footy or like – You seem cool. Right. You seem cool. Like let's, let's You talk. identify somebody from the same tribe. Yeah. The connection's there, right? And, and imagine if that was en masse. Mm. Like that would be incredible. But sure. 
I I guess the thing is that there's maybe not people listening to this per se, but people feel constrained or people feel held back. They have insecurities. They have different ideas, whether it's body image or whatever it is. They go, oh, I don't oh, – it's, it's not me. I'm not that kind of a person. I don't know. You know, this, there's a lot of fear and unknowns. It seems to me that you don't have that. <laughs> you oh, just, no, I have it for sure. Oh, you do? But you heard that quote, um, everything you've ever wanted lives on the other side of your fears and insecurities. That's exactly it. When I rocked up for that, you know, time trial with the coach, I'd never been in a pair of Speedos in my life. And the whole squad is there, you know, ripped, eight packs and whatever, just looking at me like, who are you? Right? To put on Speedos, and I'm missing two limbs. I'm scarred up in a lot of places. Yeah, you can see the stitches, Yeah, whatever. I've got a huge one down my leg. I'm more self-conscious than anyone. What, but what yeah. I guess the question is, but you went and did it. Is there something, what was it that got what? you to do that? Each time, whether it be swimming, jujitsu, is there a voice in your head that drives you? Or but, I, but I, my thing was like, but I could be good at this. Imagine if I just sat and didn't even try because of what some random, their opinion doesn't matter. It might hurt me or it might upset me for a day or two, but I could be national champ. Yeah, I could be a New South Wales state champ. But where does that come from? Did a parent teach you that or a friend or no, a brother? Or? No, no. I, I, I think it's just I've been ignored, brushed over and for so long, like you guys would all be playing footy and they'd be like, Sean, you just sit with the girls. So I'd listen to all the girls and be like, isn't Joey cute? Like, oh, look at Joey. he is. Like, yeah, he's not as cute as Nicholas Sounds like, like my kind of football match. Right? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, whatever, he ain't shit. Like he's not that special, right? So I was like, I don't know, like, I'm, again, I never had a chance to show, like, you know, when, you, when you're growing up and, you know, test of endurance, strength, whatever, I never had that. Mm. So I was like, well, now's not the time to be shy. And what are they going to say? Look, your scars, look at your scars. All right, I've got scars, but I'm good at this shit. Mm. Sure. The, the fear of missing out for me is the lesser of two evils. I'd rather try and fail spectacularly and know I gave it my everything than sit on the side because I know what it's like to just sit there and be like, damn, JT's killing everyone again. And the only thing that's stopping you from wrestling him is like your fear, your insecurity. Let him choke you. Yeah, you might get me with it for like a couple of months, but I'm going to learn your game and I'm going to start to turn the tables. That's, that's the adventure. That's the fun part for me. Yeah, that's amazing. And for you now in terms of what you're doing and, and, and what you're – in terms of speaking um, for the community and uh, I guess b- being a, a great role model, what is it that you're working on now with your with your jujitsu, with you know, as as a speaker and somebody who's out there advocating for um, para athletes? Like, what does that look like for you at the moment, uh, Sean? In terms of what you're working on, at the moment. Um I'm living out in Mudgee in regional New South Wales. So there's two gyms out there that I, I train at, not as often as I should or as I'd like. At the moment I'm, a, I'm working with um, disability support services, yeah. Um, in terms of jiu-jitsu, after COVID I, I kind of stopped doing seminars and I used to travel. I've been fortunate enough to do seminars in America, in Brazil, yeah. If you guys are interested, if you want to see what my style of jiu-jitsu or what my expression of, of jiu-jitsu is, please hit me up. Um, but my pet projects at the moment is in using martial arts, jiu-jitsu and fitness to help other people with disabilities. Yeah. Especially ones with physical disabilities. I mean, they don't even think about muscular imbalances and things like that. 
but they're just as you know if if you think jujitsu it's worthwhile learning jujitsu as somebody with two arms and two legs they're vulnerable people they get robbed like everyone else like the story i just told you the person in the wheelchair they get pushed around right so if i have this like thing that could help them with self-defense with confidence even with like their posture why not and through my travels and everything, I keep meeting or I keep hearing about returning servicemen, yeah, soldiers coming back from Iraq, Afghanistan, and, and the suicide rate is incredible. I think in the States it's something like 23 veterans a day killed themselves. Wow. I've heard statistics here in Australia that it's in Australia it's between five and seven a day, yeah, because often they go over there, they have all these traumatic experiences, they come back and they're cut off from the tribe. Your best mate might be on the other side of the country, right? It's hard to get back into the workforce, yeah. I've worked with SAS boys, Australian commandos, yeah? And that's what they're the community, like you said, yeah? Having someone call you up and do, dude, you need to get down to the gym, yeah? Whatever place you're in, just come and, like, even if you're getting smashed for an hour, don't think about anything else, yeah? Don't need to take any substances, alcohol. Get physical, we'll help you get back on track, physically, mentally, yeah? So those are the things that I want to work on. Friend of ours, Rachel Nelson, she's, she's a veteran. She's returned, she's studying, but she works with a group called... We Defy in um, the States. I think I've heard of them. And there's, yeah, there's, I think there's much more awareness of it in the States because America's much bigger population and mm. big military uh, presence. Sure. Um, is there anything at the moment, like is there an organisation uh, that does that, like connecting, because so We Defy connects return vets with jujitsu okay. and makes it free for them so that they have that connection to a community and stuff like that. To your knowledge, is there anything like that in Australia or is this something you're thinking about or what's... I know that there's individual gyms, yeah, that are owned and operated by um, jiu-jitsu or judo black belts. I know there's one guy on, up in Queensland, I think his name's Scott Steer. Like he does it, but there's no there's no support where there's a government-funded program, right, where like, all right, let's get you into this. When I spoke to this um, Australian commando, he said their, their rehab program was like, again, ping pong and origami, yeah? Like these are Australia's most elite soldiers. Dang. Right? They're not doing origami, right? Get They're turning in. it into a knife. Seriously, make yeah. Paper into <laughs> a to stab weapon. you with it or something, yeah. But no, get them in a pair of shorts or whatever and just do nogi for an hour. Yeah. yeah. Teach them like basic takedowns, passing or whatever, let them go. Again, mm. have them reconnected with, with the positive community. So I would like to see something like, or I would like to lead some kind of program in partnership with the Australian Defence Force. Yeah. Amazing. Right, it sounds like if, great. Because the amount that you'd have to spend on these guys with PTSD and suffering all kinds of trauma and all the rest of it, getting them involved in physical therapy and whatever in a jiu-jitsu gym would probably be far cheaper, right? Yeah. And less painful for a lot of their friends and families, those closest to them. Mm. Right? Definitely, I think that's a. So I think that's when, awesome when I looked at it, yeah, there's all these forms that you need to send out, but this this is the issue. When I've contacted people at the Australian Defence Force, nobody's actually taken a group of, say, 20, 50 soldiers and been like, all right, if we put them in jiu-jitsu for six months, what are the benefits? Mm. Have their, you know, a lot of their mental demons disappear? What's, have they lost weight? Have they improved their conditioning? No one's actually documented it and given it to them to say, like, look, look at the results. It speaks for itself, yeah? Now we just need some funding. Or we need some sponsors to get behind this thing. Right. Right? I guess the question, for, at least from my angle, is do you think it would be worthwhile to have a chat to a group like We Defy or something like that to ask them how's it going with you guys? Would Do you think the Australian military could then 
use that as a like a use case sure. or something you know sure. like so i've heard of of things in the states like um the wounded warrior project uh-huh. and um there's one in the uk that apparently is in partnership with the um the tom, royal marines over there tom, tom hardy promotes me. that yeah. tom hardy is kind of like their spokesperson yep. yeah i'd like to get over there and see how they do it mm. yeah so i don't know again if they're like private independent gym owners they get on board with this thing or if the military is funding some of it yeah or you know, you actually get to go to their training facilities and just put mats down and wrestle. I'm not sure. Yeah, no, that's really interesting. I think that's something that's worthwhile. If you're hearing this and you know any information, reach out to us or please potentially get in contact with Sean. And please, I think and this if is I need a, to travel anywhere in Australia or whatever to help these guys, I'll do it. It's a, a good worthwhile discussion. I got a couple of questions just to drill in on a couple of specific things. Sure. First one is about you setting a butterfly world record. Mm. How do you swim butterfly and not? Go off in a curve. You adjust on the fly. Yeah. Um, so you're constantly kind of keeping that alignment. What's your affected arm doing? Oh, they both come over. It's working too. Yeah. Um, it might sound strange, but I find butterfly the easiest of all the swimming strokes. Wow. Just because if you can get that hip undulating motion, it's just building up the momentum and then maintaining it. Yeah. It's fine. And that's, a, that's predominantly a torso thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rather than an arm thing. Yeah. Amazing. Um, second part was, so, you know, you mentioned that when you're, when people see you, they, they want to talk about it and they want to ask you about it. And that, you know, that's, that's, that's largely something that's been a cause of insecurity for you. Or, you know, it's, it's kind of like what you don't want to talk about. Of course, I'm sure you've thought about this yeah, for your, almost most of your life, but, you know, how would you like someone to Man, most most of my interactions, don't get me wrong, are positive. Yeah, if you're thinking about asking somebody, so long as you're polite. Yeah, hey man, how you going? What what happened to you? And give them the space. That if they say, "Look, dude, I really don't want to talk about it today," accept that. You understand? Most people, if you you come up and ask me, I'll tell you. But like, I've also had some shocking incidents where the guys just, you know, like you're stupid. I've had women in clubs come up and ask me if I still have my my all my equipment. Oh wow. You're like, why? Maybe they think you're hot, bro. Sure, <laughs> sure. But like, that's not really classy. No, no, no. <laughs> but, but, but I often what sort of clubs like you going to? Though? No, seriously. <laughs> yeah. um, women wouldn't do that to you, would you? No, it's completely inappropriate. Right. But yeah, it's almost like. And it leaves yeah. you. Uh, when that happened to me, and that's happened to me a few times, I don't even want to be out anymore. Like the beer's lost its. Yeah. Boys, I'm going to call it a night. Yeah, I'll see you guys another day. Yeah. Um, try and have a bit of empathy. Like, that's, that's my thing. Yeah. And I'm not the most disabled person I know. Like, mm. what's, what's the genius guy, Stephen, Stephen Hawking? Stephen Hawking. Imagine what it's like for him. Yeah. And all the kind of inappropriate conversations. People ask me, how do you go to the bathroom? How do you do this? Why? It's nothing, not, it's nothing to do with it. It's you. not your business, man. No, I tell people that a lot. Yeah. Sometimes I'd be like, all right, um, how much money you got in your bank? What's your sexual preference? Yeah. Like, why is that any of your business? Why is this any of your business? Yeah. Nothing to do with you, dude. We're two strangers on public transport. It's difficult. It is difficult. Look, I have a hard enough time being mistaken for Joey. Uh, people always ask me personal questions you about Joey. could just Joey. accept it and, you know, see it as a Roll blessing. Well, sometimes yeah. I do. Sometimes <laughs> I do pretend to be Joey and give them lots of disinformation. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. He doesn't know why he gets those emails. But, um, no, man, it is a, a great challenge. My father, for the last 30 years or more, has worked um, – uh, with sheltered workshops in terms of he's he's an engineer by trade but working people with different 
levels of ability, mm-hmm. whether it be blindness, deafness, awesome. whatever it is. And he would always have to critically problem solve. How can you get someone to do a job who can't count? So they're perfectly capable, but you've got to make them put X amount of screws and bolts or whatever. And he would find a way to make that happen. Beautiful. And to change attachments on drills so that someone could use a drill and stuff like that. So I, I spent most of my life um, just around people with different levels of ability. Right. And it, I guess the thing that always strikes me is uh, it is its own community. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's a connection. For sure. Even though, you know, it's, it's different between all people. Mm-hmm. Um, have you been able to ta- – like are you pretty well tapped into – the, the para jiu-jitsu athlete community. Is there much of a community with that? There is, there is. Um, it's very big in Brazil. Um, I have a friend over there, El Saleh, um, and he was the first guy that contacted me to go over there. He was saying at some of these tournaments in Sao Paulo or something, you have 100 para jiu-jitsu athletes. Wow. wow. Yeah, of all, you know, missing limbs or spina bifida, cerebral palsy, whatever it is, yeah, and they all get out there. So from my understanding, the Brazilian government is good at accommodating people with disabilities right yeah the guy i fought in abu dhabi was from the uk um they had a strong like tough I, I, team i think i'd read about him actually yeah, yeah his name's Stuart. Stuart penn and i yeah. think he's a taekwondo black belt like lifelong martial artist yeah? yeah super super nice dude super tough um abu dhabi was great for me i actually roomed with an athlete from um kazakhstan right right and they they were huge into wrestling and and judo his throws, like he was only a little dude, but you wouldn't want him to throw you, yeah. Mm. So it's 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 a tight knit community, and even though we're all rivals, we all kind of keep in contact and whatever. So shout out to all the para jiu jitsu people, yeah. So it was in Abu Dhabi, which is awesome, and I've had friends go and compete there. I've never competed there. Would you like to see more of that at, with other federations? Like, is there, for example, like for the AFBJJ or for sure? Um, we just need to get like the divisions down pat. Um, so, for example, people with one arm and one leg competing against each other. The problem is there's not many, that many people. When I heard there was a, another one arm, one legged person in jiu-jitsu, I was like, holy shit, he's a unicorn. Like, I've been searching for you my whole life. Like, <laughs> I must face him. I must, yeah. They can only, they can be one. Like, what's the Highlander thing? Yeah. My question, I, it, was it same or was it opposite? Yeah, the exact same. Wow. It's like the mirror, mirror image of myself, but an athlete from the UK. I was like, this is going to be interesting. And it's weird. Like, you know, you probably know each other's games. You felt it. But I've, that's the first time I've rolled with someone with one arm and one leg. And I was like, now I see why I give people problems because the the weight distribution is off. The, everything is different. Ah, yeah? first, time we ro- first time we started training together, like, you know, in recent years, it was like, this is what it feels like to roll with someone who's mobile and strong. Uh-huh. God, like, uh, yeah. I listened to that podcast yeah, and I was like, oh, that's interesting. But yeah, I can imagine that would have been a profound sort of experience for you. Yeah. Or even like how he fights for underhooks, right? Because when this arm's not here, it's, it's easy to wriggle. The way he used his thump and everything, I was like, he, he knows all my tricks. <laughs> like, it's almost like he's a step ahead. Like I need to up the game. So, yeah. Could that be locked? Could you lock that? Could that elbow be attacked? No, nah. you can't lock the elbow. Can it's that very, very difficult to get an omoplata. Shoulder can't be locked? I've never been tapped on this side. Okay. And only a couple of people have managed to triangle me on this side. Oh, wow. Right. Because you, lock you can normally sneak that out. I like it out. Yeah. <laughs> Straight up. That's so it's, – it's fascinating and it's also inspiring. I mean, yeah, even, even before we were able to um, – for us to connect, just speaking with Joe, I've just – 
Um, it was it was amazing. Ultimately, um, hearing about someone like you who's who's led the life that you've led and being where you are now, um, I can only feel encouraged to yeah. overcome my bullshit <laughs> when I'm telling myself, you know, God, tired, God, tired, legs a bit sore, I got that calf cramp. God, what's going on? With it? You know, <laughs> bullshit That's like this, right? Uh-huh. So, so you said you're a brown belt, mm-hmm. and we all we all quest for the black belt, right? Um, what's that look like for you in terms of the next step in in being a black belt or your own jujitsu and how you play your game? Like, what's I have no idea. I'm on a bit of a hiatus at the moment. Yeah. Okay. And like, I know I'll get the black belt one day. Yeah. But let's see. At the moment, I'm traveling around the world doing different things, and I think my jujitsu style is interesting. I've had some high level guys say I've never seen some of the things that you do. Yeah, awesome. you should you should talk about that. Yeah. Mm. Um, so again, if people are interested, fanatics know, instructional. I'll, Ever thought about that? Oh, BJJ fanatics. Yeah, I bro, for sure. I'll, that would be, I'll connect you with Bernardo. Yeah, yeah if, if you want to do huge. it, bro, we can we can get that organized. Yeah, but let's go. Like traveling, meeting new people, learning that you know, living the jujitsu lifestyle. That's the dream. Yeah, no matter what else is going on, um, I have some sneaky tricks. <laughs> no doubt. So, yeah, it'd be good to get it down. On that, when you, um, you know, when you, you, we talk a lot about like the etiquette of jiu-jitsu and how it's, it's really tough to nail down. You walk in as a visitor to a new gym, how do I act? How hard should I roll? You know, we're talking about the other day on an episode about as a black belt, it's almost like the etiquette changes a little bit because, yeah, just whatever, bullshit, right? But for you, uh, if you, if you walked into an academy, for someone who's like, hey, man, let's like, yeah, let's roll. What's some? Can you share anything on that? Because I, I'm I'm guessing if you if you showed up and I was like, hey, let's roll, I'd be like perplexed. I'd be like, fuck, how hard do I go? I don't want to be that dick sure. that goes super hard on the the new guy that that you know is adaptive. But then I also don't want to rob you from uh, a good uh, training experience. Yeah, but just a conversation. Yeah, at most good gyms, you walk into a place. Yeah, when I visit a place and it's different, when I'm there for a seminar, it's like everybody wants to kill me. Yeah, or or you get the younger, tougher guys that are like, "Oh, did you medal at Abu Dhabi? Right, it's on war. We're gonna go until like somebody's can basically can't move." Um, I think of it like I'm a guest in your house if I come to your gym, and like I'll go at the level that you go. If you go like full on, like all right, cool. But I like to be respectful and have fun and all the rest of it. Depends who I'm rolling with too. I've often found this. As a brown belt, when I go to a lot of academies, people don't want to engage with me. They'll just stay around and won't whatever. And I'm like, you're being too respectful. Like, engage. Once I turned up somewhere, I didn't have my belt. And the only one that they had that I could use was a white belt. I had so much fun because everyone thinks they're just going to smash me. (laughs) So when they try to jump, now, now we start to play. I'd rather you engage than just, you know, sometimes they respect the belt too much. Yeah. Just wrestle. Yeah. Just wrestling, yeah. So a quick conversation will do away with a lot of those things, yeah. And most black belts, I'll probably say every black belt has had some kind of major injury, yeah. If you clap hands, you go, dude, I have a bad left shoulder. Yeah, no worries. I'm not going to go for anything there. Yeah. So it's all good. It's good practical advice. Yeah, I mean, conversation goes a long way. Oh, the communication piece is huge. I mean, we've been talking about this just in general in terms of making sure that new people to jiu-jitsu, whether it be a white belt or a blue belt, someone who's not as... 
blue belts are like, you calling me new to jiu-jitsu, bro? <laughs> Man, so, like, I'm saying, <laughs> sorry. I, ap- I, I apologize. Like I apologize if you can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, just retire already um, <laughs> or come back from retirement if you're listening. Um, essentially, uh, the, the communication thing goes a long way in terms of improving your own experience and your partner's experience. Mm-hmm. Jiu-jitsu is growing at an unprecedented rate and definitely I, I feel in the next five years we'll see it as a, a real mainstream sport more than it is now. Um, do you have any thoughts or is there anything that you would like to see um, happen in the next little while, like from your own perspective in the sport of jiu-jitsu? Yeah, sure. Um, for me, I'd definitely like to see more um, inclusiveness for athletes with disabilities, yeah? So we touched on this, but I kind of got off on a tangent before. Um, so IBJJF rules. To get a takedown for two points, the rule book says you need to be on two feet. Right. Yeah. To get um, to get a sweep, the sweep must have started with you between my two legs. Otherwise, it's not a sweep. It's a reversal. Mm. To get four points for the mount, you need to have a leg on either side of my torso. Either both knees on the ground or one knee on one side and one foot doesn't work. Right. And to catch the back and get... Um, four points, you need both hooks in. Both hooks, yeah. Right? So if there's a bit of flexibility there, I mean, obviously not to be dicks, but I've been in comps, yeah, mounted somebody clean. You're not getting four points. That's fucking, that's ridiculous, <laughs> man. But you, but you, you know what I was I mean? like, I didn't write the you rule know, book, but, bro. But exactly. And yeah. that's, I've had black belt referees, so I, I didn't write the rule book. Sorry. Yeah. That's and some right. are flexible and some are not, but how do you, how do, you do that? Do, do you think... Uh, a modified rule set could be appropriate? Or sure. how did they run it in sure. Abu Dhabi? Was it, it, was, it was a bit of a mix. So the, the frustrating part about competing against guys with two arms and two legs was I could train for three to six months as hard as I can. And a few people have done this. I hop to start the thing. Mm. Try hopping on one leg and see how long you go, yeah? Mm. If they don't want to engage, it's only a matter of time before I sit on my butt and then they'll try to engage. But I've also had people do this. They hold the leg down, pass, step back. Hold the leg down, pass. If that's just how you're going to want to play the game. Keep racking up points. Yeah. It's not in the spirit of jiu-jitsu. Yeah. yeah. But what's the incentive for him to clash if he knows I'm tricky? In Abu Dhabi, do you get penalized for pulling guard like that then? I don't know. In Abu Dhabi, um, when I went there, they asked all the athletes to have a gentleman's agreement. Because there were a couple of athletes that didn't have legs. There were a couple of athletes that had just from their knees. So when we'd come out, clap hands. We said, "Do you want to be? Do you want to do stand up, or you want to just keep it on the ground?" Okay, right, right. Yeah. And then most of them would say, "Just keep it on the ground." All right, I'll sit on my butt and we'll start. Cool. Yeah, I I, I think we've probably seen this more recently with uh, blind athletes, and I had actually seen it first in judo, where um, the the opponent who's not blind will allow the person you start with groups mm-hmm. and fight from there sure and and people and i actually competed at, at state championship against a, a huge guy mm-hmm. i don't even know how we're in the same category mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he was a, a giant and they they he, he had someone walk him out and we started with the grips he was so strong i was like god damn should never agreed to this <laughs> but uh, no it's it's it was awesome and that was the first time i'd seen it and then subsequently i have seen it in bjj so I, I'm, I'm sure there's a way, especially with like uh, grappling industries because I feel like they're really growing and um, I know the founder, uh, David Aguzzi, 
I'm sure that there would be a way that they're not as – it's not as big an organisation as the IBJJF but they still have great reach. They might be able to do something like that very easily with a modified rule set, I'm sure. sure. Um, what's, what's their thing? Is it 20-minute matches? Um, no, no, no. They, they do round robin. Okay. So they, they'll do um, submission only but they'll also do gi matches. But um, if there's only two of you in a category, you get to roll best of three. So I think from an experience point of view – it gives people much more time on the mat for the money you pay to be in a comp. For sure. But again, is it 10-minute rounds? Uh, it's it's belt-related, so, you know, five for white. Oh, five, six, seven. Yeah, okay. similar. All right, maybe that's something for to consider, yeah. There are a couple of people with um, amputees that I met here in New South Wales. Maybe I'll steer them in that direction, yeah. And, and the round-robin format might work well because if you go in with, you know – lose the first round and you don't get any more matches that day, like you said, at least they'll get a bit more bang for their buck, yeah. Mm. Oh, and ben, ben Hodgkinson is the president of Australia, oh, the okay. grappling industries, Very so nice. I can definitely uh, connect you with him. All right. It shouldn't be a problem. Sounds good. But, uh, man, thank you so much for coming on today. I no, appreciate it's, you. It's incredibly inspiring. Thank you for making the time to be here in the real. It's one of those things that I think it cannot be understated enough. Everything you've overcome – from one, a lifetime of learning to adapt and then taking that to the realm of competitive sport and then probably the hardest thing you can do, which is Brazilian jiu-jitsu. It's incredibly inspiring, man. So I just want to acknowledge you and thank you so much for setting the example you set, man. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you guys, yeah. Thank you for, for having me here today on the podcast, yeah. And congrats with the gym. Thank you so much. Next time I'm in Sydney, I'll hit you up if I can come do a session with you guys. Please do. And uh, we'll put a link to all your social media um, in in the show notes. But is there anywhere, if people want to know more about you or want to contact you specifically, whether it be for speaking or what is the easiest way for them to reach you? Uh, Probably Instagram or LinkedIn. Yeah, they're the platforms that I'm probably on the most. So my name, Sean, S-E-A-N, and my surname is Fong, F-Fred, O-N-G. Reach out to me, yeah. I'm very active. I'll get back to you. Amazing. Thank you, Sean. Thank you, brother. Cheers, bro. Thank you, guys. Bye.